Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're about to receive a life-giving message from Bishop Kevin Foreman, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Center, one church in global locations. To find out more about Bishop Foreman and Harvest Christian Center, visit our website at www.harvestcc.me. And remember to love God, love people, and love life. Stand on your feet. We're going to get in today. Say, I shall learn truth, and it shall make me free. Lift your hand or your Bible or your mobile device, whatever you have, to access the Bible. And let's say this confession of faith together. I am unconditionally loved by God and at harvest. I come to God as I am, but I won't stay as I am because the life-giving message I'll receive will make me more like the great I am. I'm on 10 and I win. Stop, 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 stop. Say, I'm on 10, I'm on 10. And, I and I win. Now say it again. Say, I'm on 10, I'm on 10. and I win. Say, no matter what it feels like right now, in any area of my life, I declare I am winning. You ought to say it like you mean it. Say, I am winning because you always lead us into triumph in Jesus' name. Remain standing. One quick scripture I want you to look at today. You are winning. I don't care what it feels like. You're winning. Bishop, how do you know that I'm winning? Because you ain't quit. Bishop, how do I know that I'm winning? Because you're becoming new. You're coming to the end of the you that you were, and you're becoming new. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20. We're in our series called The Misrepresentation of Jesus. Last Sunday, we talked about My Life Matters and about the importance of what we do here on Earth. Wednesday, we talked about the importance of healing and how that's sometimes been misrepresented. Any folk, if you were not here Wednesday, you must get Wednesday's message and Sunday's message. If you weren't here Wednesday, I just... Song says, I feel for you. I feel for you. Second Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, or let's, let's simplify, that no scripture at all is of any private interpretation. Simple verse, simple verse. Touch your neighbor and say, you have no business privately interpreting the Bible. <laughs> Father, speak to us now that we would receive truth and that truth would make us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout hallelujah. As you take your seats, encourage somebody to say, that's not what that verse means. That's not what that verse means. You can be seated. Sunday, we started a new message series called The Misrepresentation of Jesus to get to the facts about Jesus and Christianity and even dive into some taboo topics to see the real Jesus so we can see the real us. Here's the reality in our culture today. Often people say, quote, and even believe things that aren't in the Bible. And today there are three verses of scripture that are often misinterpreted because it's being interpreted privately by individuals that shouldn't be doing it. 
And I want to bring some clarity to that today. We're going to get right into it today because we've got a lot of ground to tumble. Here's, here's the first scripture we're going into, Romans 8, 28. You know this one. And we know that all things work together to, uh, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Touch your neighbor and say, you know that scripture. All right, here's how most of us say it. We know that all things work together for good. And you'll tell people on your job who don't come church, who don't serve, who don't give, who don't follow not now one of these scriptures and not even trying, child, everything working together for your good. No, touch your neighbor and say, that's not what that verse means. Let's just read it slowly, and then we're going to break it down. And we know that all things work together, which means he'll take the good, the bad, and the ugly. They work together for good to those that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Say, there's two conditions here. Say, I got to love him, and I got to be called according to his purpose. There are two conditions for things working together for our good. And we often quote benefits to people that they're not entitled to because they don't comply with the conditions. The first condition is that we love God. Now, watch this. Here's what we think. Well, I told him I love him, so I love him. Let me ask you this. Would that work with you? Could somebody just tell you that they loved you and you just take their word for it, yet everything they do seems to suggest that they hate you? Y'all not saying nothing. Could somebody just tell you, baby, I love you, baby, I love you, but I'm over here stepping out with this one and that one and doing this and that. You'd say, you don't love me. Well, it's the same principle with Jesus. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Translation, if you love me, do what I said to do. Which means, how does Jesus define love? Obedience. Touch your neighbor and say, if you love him, do what he said. What does that mean, Bishop? It means to make what's important to him important to us. And there are five T's that the Bible teaches us that are very important to God. And I know that you know them, but I'm going to keep on teaching them until more of us do them. The first T that's important to him is keeping him first in our time. That's our church attendance. Touch your neighbor and say, you got that one in. You in the building today. You came through that little bit of, you know, quarter inch of snow or whatever today. Now, number two, number two is our testimony. Say inviting people to church. Who did you invite this week or did you get stuck on the high of who you invited last week? And simply because you watched many people come to Jesus last week, you were just like, well, I can take a week off. Evidently not. Say time. Say, say, say testimony. All right. Watch this. Say talent. That's serving in church. Are your talents being used to further the vision or are you sitting on them? N n n n n number four. What's number four? Treasure. That's your tithes, offerings, and first fruits. Is God first in your money or, or, or not? It's just that simple. Say, is he first or is he not? Okay. Now, I know we got all these reasons of why, but Jesus said, I don't care. Put me first in the discussion. Period. That's kind of like somebody, it's your birthday. They've known a whole year is your birthday. And then on time, when it's birthday time, you know, now, and watch this. And this ain't just anybody. This, you interested in this somebody. Or you married to this somebody. And here come your birthday, and you just waking up just knowing it's going to be, today is going to be a good day. And then you go through the first little portion, they ain't said nothing. Ain't sent a birthday text. Ain't sent a birthday email, ain't Facebooked you to say birthday, ain't, ain't tweeted you to say birthday, couldn't even Snapchat you and say birthday. 
about two, three in that afternoon? Nothing, huh? You going up to the front receptionist, any packages delivered for me today? I ain't getting nothing today. Hmm, hmm. Let me reset this phone because maybe Apple is blocking my email. You get to the end of the day, ain't got you nothing. And you sitting up here saying, well, okay, really, what in the world? <laughs> Watch this. Either they cared about it or they didn't. It's the same principle of putting God first in your finances. Either you do or you don't. Time, church attendance, testimony, inviting people to church, talent, serving in church, treasure, tithes, offerings, first fruits. The last one is your thirst, your prayer, praise, and worship. Can I ask you something? If, if I was standing up here leading praise and worship, would I have to look the opposite direction because looking at you would make me tired? Oh, it's quiet up in the church. Does it ever say, 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 do you give him praise and worship? Now, I need to say that this isn't a concert. This is praise and worship. Prayer, praise, and worship to be specific. And let me tell you why you're out there and why singers are up here. It's because in the middle, that's where God inhabits the throne. The scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. And ha- praises there is the Hebrew word tehillah, which means the singing of his people. So they sing, you sing, and when y'all sing to one another, God steps in the middle and takes a seat right down here at the altar. Y'all not saying nothing. That's why praise is a weapon. It's a weapon because whatever I'm going through, my praise has the ability to counteract it. Say those five T's. Now, now I says, now, all things work together for the good of those that love him. Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. Well, he's told us that those five things are very important to him. John 15, 10 says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love and live on in it, just as I obeyed my father's commandments and live on in his love. Look at me, church. We obey not to be loved, but because we're loved, we obey. Now, now, I need you to get that. Me doing this isn't going to make him love me. Because he loves me, I get to obey. Y'all, I'm not saying nothing. I'm not trying to impress him because I've already impressed him. I'm impressing him. You're not hearing what I'm saying. No, no, I said, we will all fail and make mistakes in pursuit. So the issue isn't always hitting the mark. It's that when we miss the mark, we're repenting about it. Because I know what you're thinking. Well, Bishop, you know, there's areas where, you know, I've not obeyed. There's areas where just let's use the five T's. Those areas and those five T's where I've not, I've not always done that right. The question is, though, is that when you missed the mark, did you even care that you missed? Let me talk to the ladies for a minute. Fellas, I'm going to come back and get us, but just let me talk to the ladies because they'll understand this from this emotional uh, paradigm. Uh, thank you for the four ladies that's telling the truth about well because y'all know what I'm talking Watch this. Ladies, sometimes your issue isn't what he said or did your issue is his attitude about what he said or did okay can I get one married lady to just say preach bishop can I get get just one woman period that's ever had to interact with a man just say preach bishop period I don't care if it's your, 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 your whoever your husband brother cousin daddy uncle whatever man at the barbecue shop 
Your issue ain't that he didn't give you all of the meat that's supposed to be on your sandwich. Your issue is that he had an attitude when he had to put the rest of the meat on the sandwich. Like, really? I used to, let me tell you something. I used to, when I, when I would uh, go to Chipotle, and I know you're supposed to say Chipotle, but, but southern, southern Spanish is Chipotle. And so, and so when I go, you know, they give me these little half scoops. And I know, and my problem was, is listen, I'm paying you for a full scoop. Now, if you got that big old spoon, now if you don't want to put everything on the spoon in there, go get some smaller spoons. And then I'd say, let me have some more, baby. And, 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 and they say, extra? I said, no, no extra. I want no extra. I want you to fill that spoon up. And here was my issue. They get an attitude like I was taking the chicken out their kid's mouth. I'm just trying to get what I'm paying for. Some of y'all looking at me like I can't believe that. No, I'm trying to show you the point so that you'll understand it. We're all going to fail, but do you? what's your attitude when you fail? We're all going to make mistakes, but what's our attitude when we make mistakes? Do we just say, well, Lord, I messed up. You just, whatever. Or do we say, Father, forgive me. I didn't mean to do it. I don't know how I did it, but I'm thankful that your word says that if I confess my sins before you, you are faithful and any repentant people in the place. I ain't going to get it right all the time, but when I mess up, watch me repent. I'll make some mistakes, but when I mess up, watch me repent. <laughs> so when we miss the mark, we even repent about it. What's our attitude about it? Is our attitude like, man, whatever. There's an attitude like, God, I, whoo, for them couple of moments, Lord, I lost my mind. But I'm so thankful that you said you're faithful and just to forgive me. David made a lot of mistakes. But David's the one man in the scripture that's called the man after God's own heart. Why, though? Because David, watch this, he conspired to commit murder. In fact, it happened. David was a liar, a cheat, heartbreaker, deceiver. But he's the one man in the Bible. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because when David made mistakes, you know what David knew how to do? I had no business doing that, God. Against you and against you only have I sinned. Created me a clean-hearted, renew a right spirit within me. Because when he made mistakes, his attitude about his mistakes was right. Touch your neighbor and say, what's your attitude when you fail? What's your attitude when you make a mistake? Do you get prideful? And, or do you say, you know what? That's totally me. I ain't going to blame you, you, or you. I take responsibility for it. I own it. And guess what? I'm bouncing back from it. Would you have found your neighbor and say, own it and bounce back from it? Here it is, Romans 28. And we know all things work together for the good of them that love God. So loving God means I obey what he said which means putting him first in the things that are important to him. And when I make a mistake in those things, I repent and bounce back from it. That whole, that whole narrative is the first condition. You hear, see what I'm saying, church? Romans 8, 28, put it up. That's the first condition. But now here's the second condition. And to those that are called according to what? His purpose. Now, the second condition is that we're called according to his purpose, which in the Greek language of our New Testament are the words kletos prophesin, which means what, Bishop? It means to respond to the invitation or the call to decide to become a Christian. So all things don't work together for the good of everybody. 
all things work to the good of those that do what he says and are Christians. You've been quoting benefits to people that they, they're not entitled to. Let me prove it to you. Somebody come in your job and they're going through some stuff. And you've been inviting them to church. You've been praying for them. You've been giving all kind of illegal counseling services to them. You've been doing all of that. And then they, they go on through something. God, just go through that. Just go and here's what you tell them. Well, all things work together for good. Mm-mm. Not for you, though. <laughs> Nothing personal. It's just that's not what this verse means. Be a good church. It ain't personal. That's just not what the verse means. Verse means that, watch this, I responded to the call to become a Christian. Kletos prophesian. It means when the invitation came, I didn't sit there and say, well, I'm not sure if I need God. I said, I know I need him because I know I got some ish to the use. I got some stuff. And, and even if I didn't think my issues were as big as they were, I'm not deceived to, into thinking that I don't need God. But then, but then, but then I got to love him. And he defines love as obedience. Those are the two conditions. So all things work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. How many folk have you went out and told, well, all things are working together for your good? Not if you don't meet the conditions. It ain't personal. That's just not what the verse means. See, it's not trying to beat people up or put them down or kick them down. It's just this verse doesn't apply to you. That's like somebody trying to go to the doctor on your health benefits. Y'all not saying nothing. Like, look, my friend got insurance. That's nice, but you don't. This is a benefit that's reserved for Christians. And if you're not one, I got good news. In about 22 minutes, that invitation, that call's going to come, and this verse can apply to you. All right, here's the second verse. Here's the second verse. Say, that's not what this verse means. All right, here's the second verse. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. I'm just giving you three um, passages that we need to uh, take a look at. Say, truth, truth makes me free. Now, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. I'm going to read it through so you can get it. And then we all know, because people have used this scripture to try to justify a lot of stuff. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye. Come on, read, church. Okay. Now, 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 now all the fighters got excited. He's like, that's right. Praise him. One of the scriptures says that the Lord came at, a, at one of his servants like a mighty warrior. He says he comes at me with his bow and his arrow like a warrior. Here it is. Matthew 5, 38. You've heard it said, I for an eye, two for two. Verse 39. One, two. Ready? Read 39. Watch this next verse. Read it. Wait a minute. I love God. You don't love God? But you say, I'm just supposed to sit there. Because you know that's how people have told you this. People who lie to you be like, turn your cheek. Now, from a surface level review of these verses, you think Jesus is saying, whatever people do, just let them keep doing it. Women have used these scriptures to justify staying in bad relationships. 
and it's the 21st century. Men have used these scriptures to justify staying in bad relationships. Well, Bishop, she only hit me once. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a trip, y'all. Jesus said, watch this. Look at verse 39. Look at it on the surface level because what he actually meant is going to blow your mind. Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. So on a surface level view, here's what most people think that means. Well, child, I ain't worried about it. They just evil. I ain't going to do nothing about it. Come on, let's be honest. Isn't that, ain't that what it looks like it says? But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. Now, if I was to give you the third translation of the Bible, turn the other cheek meant turn it as you're coming around for a right hook. But I'm a, I ain't going to give you that version. <laughs> no, no, watch this, watch this. People think that this passage of scripture means Christians are to be passive, weak pushovers that fall for everything and stand for nothing. But quite the contrary. Let's go through the verse line by line and let's see the original words in Greek to see what they really mean. That's the language of our New Testament. Verse 38. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, uh, tooth for tooth. Here's the point Jesus was communicating. He said, you've been living tit for tat with people. They lie, you lie big. They betray, you betray. Some of your relationships, that's what it is. You ain't in no relationship, you in eye for eye, two for two. You're in a competition with who should be complimenting you. Eye for eye, two for two. Uh, 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 uh. He says, tit for tat. What's this, what's this? He says, you've been living up to this point going tit for tat with people. They do one thing, you do one thing. They don't respond to your text, you don't respond to their text. They do this, you do this. They do this, do that. So he says, he says, enough of that. Tell your neighbor, say enough of that. He says, but I tell you, verse 39, not to resist an evil person. That word resist is the word antihistemi, which has connections to the word antihistamine, which really means don't let people get you upset. But I don't want to work it from that angle. I just want to work it from the definition of it. Resist means, watch this, publicly and openly establish your position, refusing, uh, I says, I says, refusing to let the issue go until they see it your way. Say it again. Publicly and openly establishing your position, refusing to let it go until they see it your way. So put the verse back up. Check this out. Jesus said, you've been living tit for tat. He says, but I tell you, watch this, don't resist an evil person. He says, you've been openly establishing your position without letting it go until they see it your way. Now, to understand the significance of that, we need to know what evil person means. Touch your neighbor and say, it's going to get real good, real fast. Evil person here means a person who acts like a victim. All right, I'm ready to preach. Jesus said, why are you trying to publicly and openly establish your position until they see it your way? They act like a victim, and you're not going to make them stop acting like one. Y'all not saying nothing. Then it means they're always emotionally ill. They're always going through something, always sad, always mad, always offended, always hurt. Jesus says, stop wasting your time trying to convince people like that. Okay. 
then, then it means, watch this, they're derelict. Oh my God. It means they don't have a house, a job, nor property. He says, why are you trying to convince somebody that thinks they can sit up and live off of everybody else? Why are you trying to convince them of your position? Then that word means immoral, cruel, violent, disobedient, malicious, which means they have the intentions to be evil. Watch this, non-Christians. You sitting up getting in fights with people over scripture with folk that ain't even Christians. Jesus said, why are you resisting them? They're evil. Y'all not saying nothing to me. Grievous, which means they're always in trouble. Watch the two last definitions. They're lewd, which translates into being a leech. And Proverbs says a leech has two daughters. Give me and give me some more. The only thing they do is sit up and suck your time and suck your energy. and su- They don't want to change. All they want to do is... Is sit up and leech. Jesus said, don't try to convince leeches of nothing. And here's the last definition that I like. Lazy. They're unmotivated about their own life. And you trying to get them motivated about something Jesus said. Jesus said, but I tell you. So now let's look at the verse for what it really means. Watch this. This is where you shout, church. But I tell you, stop trying to convince people that are lazy leeches of your position. He says, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him. Turning the cheek, watch this, means to see it from their perspective, not because they're right, but so that you don't get bit out of shape trying to show them they're wrong. So Jesus wasn't saying be weak. Jesus was saying, why are you wasting your time on leeches? Why are you wasting your time trying to convince people that are derelict? They ain't got nothing, don't want to have nothing, don't want to go nowhere, don't want to be nothing. They just want to sit up and talk about mama did this, daddy did this, so-and-so did this. I always get dealt a bad hand. Life ain't being about dealt a good hand. It's about taking a bad hand and learning how to play it well. Any folk in here were given a bad hand, but you learn how to... I dare you to high five your neighbor and say, I know how to play a bad hand well. I can't tell you how much my life I've wasted trying to convince folk that couldn't be convinced and I should have turned the other cheek. Now you know what it means. Now you know what it means. There's some folk right now You need to make up in your mind from this moment forward, I'm turning the other cheek. Which means, you know what? If I was lazy, I'd think that way too. If I was a leech, I'd think that way too. If I was broke, busted, and disgusted, I'd think that way too. If I didn't want to be nobody, I'd think that way too. But because I'm not, I don't, and I don't want to. Touch your neighbor and say, learn how to go with the goers. Listen, what does that mean? Some folk are going to go with you and some folk ain't. You got to learn how to say, who's with me? Now, come on, saddle up and let's go. We got to live. We got to ride. We got to rule, to reign, to conquer, and to subdue. Can you tell how much time I wasted on meetings? Let me just preach my own self happen. Wasted on meetings and, and counseling and this and that, 
and this and that and go talk to this one, go do that. I can't, how much time I wasted. But what I really should have did is just turn the other cheek. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But for years, this scripture has been used to justify Christians being weak. Don't do nothing. You're just supposed to turn the other cheek, baby. I'm going to turn it. I'm, I'm turned. <laughs> Are you still here, church? No, no. I said, check this out. Jesus said, Jesus said, listen, if you were like them, you'd probably think that way. But you're not. So don't get bent out of shape trying to prove, them to, to, prove to them that they're wrong. How, how much time have you spent with people trying to say, look, don't do that. Don't do that. Stop acting like that. And here's the thing, and they still don't do it. Parents, how many times you tried to tell your child she's poison? Poison. Now watch. And you know what? They didn't want to hear you. In fact, here's what they told you. They got an understanding you don't have. And you trying to say, listen, I done been around the block a few times. I know a snake from a long distance away. I'm trying to tell you that's not your friend. I'm trying to tell you that's not somebody to trust. But sometimes you got to just turn the other cheek. I, I'm not getting bent out of shape trying to convince you. Either you're going to ride with me or get the heck out the way. It's some friends that you've been dragging their weight. In fact, it is not a friendship, it is an elite-ship. And you didn't even realize you was the one being leached off of. And you just carry them and drag them and drag them and drag Let me tell you what you need to do today. Let me tell you what, what's today? December 11th needs to be your turn-the-cheek day. December 11th, you need to say, uh-uh, nah, ain't got time for that. Because I ain't going into 2017 carrying stuff I ain't got no business carrying. Trying to convince people of stuff they don't want to be convinced about. I, I've had conversations with folks. I said, listen, listen, please just listen. Please listen. Please, won't you listen? I feel like Keith Sweat. James Brown. Just, just sitting up begging. And then, and then the light came on. And the light said, notice. Ain't changing. Here's what you're doing. You're getting temporary pacification. They're doing enough short term so that you think the issue's fixed. And it's not fixed because you won't turn the other cheek. Tell your neighbor, say, go back and listen to the city. Go back and listen to the city. That was the wrong neighbor. I don't really like how they responded. Try the other one. Say, go back and listen to the city. <laughs> Jesus said, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. He said, stop trying to convince people that all those long lists of things. Let me tell you how you know it. There's some folk you meet who their whole story is, well, so-and-so did me wrong, so-and-so did me wrong, so-and-so did me wrong. Let me tell you something. Turn the other cheek. This week, you're going to meet some folk and be like, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so. And they're going to tell you all the stuff you need to know up front, and it's going to be a test to see if you turn the other cheek. I dare somebody that will take a prophetic gesture, just turn it with me, just turn it with me. Matter of fact, for some of you, you don't just need to turn the cheek. You need to get up out your seat and just turn around. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no I'm not trying to convince people that don't want to be convinced anymore. Not doing that. Not doing it. You're going to get on the bus or I'll run you over with it. 
Luke 9, Luke 9, last one. Luke 9, <laughs> Luke 9, Luke 9, 51 through 58. Here's last one. Now watch this. Now this, this is going to be the good one. I like this one. Luke 9, 51 through 58. Now actually we'll start at verse 52. We can cut 51 out. All right, you ready? Have you learned something so far? Okay, these are three common passages of scripture verses where what people say it means, it actually does not. Which is why it's not subject to private interpretation. Because some of you will go out and try to tell people, you're just supposed to turn the other cheek. And they'll think, oh, I am just supposed to be passive and just weak. And Jesus knows by heart. Luke 9, 52. Which Sunday is this? Oh, it's too early in the month. Luke 9, 52. Now, Jesus is getting, actually, let's start in verse 51. I said, I said, we'll skip it. Let's start there so you can get the narrative. Luke 9, 51. Now, it came to pass when the time for him uh, had come for him to be received up. What does that mean? It came time for him to be crucified, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus said, I got to get to where I'm going because it's assignment time. Verse 52. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to pray for him. Leave the scripture up. I want you to see several things here before I break the verse down. Jesus said, I'm not going to a city until they're marketed in the city to tell everybody I'm coming because I'm not going and ain't nobody there ready to hear me. You've heard the term street team? That's where it came from. Jesus sent a team out before he got there to say, I'm coming. Okay. Then it says, and as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans to pray for them. Now, Samaritans were considered by the Jews, they were considered to be a, a dirty person. In fact, they were often likened to dogs because they were of mixed ethnic and racial origin. Okay? So I want you to understand that. And as they went, they entered the village of Samaritans to prepare it for him. What were they doing? To prepare it for him. Who? The messengers. Who were the messengers? Some of his team. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay? Verse 53. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Who didn't receive him? That village. You still with me, church? Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So here's what happens. Jesus is getting ready to go into this village. Jesus is about to have a crusade in the village. And when Jesus goes to have a crusade in the village, the people in the village are like, we don't want him coming. They probably didn't want him coming because they were like, we're going to reject him before he can reject us because we know how the Jews think about us. So if he's a Jew, he's probably not going to have anything to say but the same thing they said, which is what happens with some Christians. Sometimes people think, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you ain't going to do nothing but do me like these other Christians did, which is why there needs to be some harvest Christians that go out there to say, no, we are known for what we're for. We love God. We love people. We love life. We're not going to kick you down. We're going to love you and love you to life. But check it out. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. They didn't receive him. So, so, so James and John, they were like, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come kill him? Because they don't know who they're messing with. They don't want no problems with you. We'll call, fi we'll call fire down from heaven. I'm going to find a way to remix that. <laughs> What's this? And when his disciples said this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Verse 55. We'll skip to verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. In essence, he says, watch this. You're identifying the wrong problem. 
He says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. He said, you're mad at them. The question is, when I sent you here, why didn't you do a good job of setting this region up for me so when I got here, I wouldn't have been embarrassed because you didn't plan and prepare for me? He said, you're blaming the people, but the people aren't prepared because you did a piss poor job of preparing them. It's quiet in the church. Okay, watch, watch, watch. I'm going to make it make sense in a minute. Verse 56. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to what? Another village. Verse 58. And Jesus, we'll skip 57, 58. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, that verse right there, watch this, and this sequence of verses are often used to say Jesus was poor. And that he... And that Christians should be in lack. Well, Bishop, how do they use that? Because they'll say Jesus didn't even have anywhere to go lay his head. He had all these guys going around town and they just were living by faith, hoping to see what was going to happen that night after they had a crusade. This is the verse that they use. This is the verse that they use to say, all Christians shouldn't be prosperous. And let's be clear about what that means. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking, all is well. It's not being materialistic. Got it? But how are you going to help somebody and you can't help yourself? How are you going to change the community and you're just trying to get your lights changed? Okay, y'all not. Now, watch this. This sequence of verses has been used to say Jesus was poor and that Christians should lack, and that's not true. What really happened is Jesus was frustrated with his team because after the plans changed and they went to another village, nobody made sure Jesus' accommodations were arranged. He was rebuking his team. He said, first off, James and John, you want to call down fire? It's not their fault. My question is, y'all just were sitting out here doing this. Nobody thought to ask the people, have you heard of Jesus? Nobody thought to prep and brief these people before I got here. So I walked into a mess I had to fix because you didn't set it up. And then once they had to change and go to another, anybody ever in management, anybody in management, leadership, supervisor, okay, you ever had a situation where somebody was supposed to get something handled for you and it wasn't handled and you walked into a meeting, you walked into something and you're like, what is this? And you get blindsided. And then watch this, but then the person that was supposed to have it prepared blamed the other folk in the meeting. When you like, well, listen, it was your job to have this ready for me. Why are you blaming them? That's what happened here, church. Be a good church. Then when they had to move to another city, nobody said, well, Jesus, let me run ahead to go make sure we got somewhere to keep you so you good. So Jesus is going. They're going to the next city. Jesus is going. He's waving his hands. Everybody, he's healing, laying hands. People falling out. He's doing all that. They get to the city, and somebody walks up to him and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus is like, really? He said, oh, you'll die for me? He said, you couldn't even get my hotel room set up. You couldn't even get my accommodation set up. You going to die for me? Go to verse 57. Go to verse 57. Come on, verse 57. Watch this. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road. Somebody said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Watch Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, and Jesus said to him, who? The person who said, I'll do whatever it takes. He said, oh, really? You'll do whatever it takes? He says, I don't even have reservations for nowhere tonight. You didn't even take care of my accommodations, for, but you're going to die for me? 
See, okay, let me, let me, I, I think maybe, maybe from a leadership context, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a paradigm that perhaps maybe is, is a bit too aloof for us. Maybe it's too macro, so let me make it micro for us. Uh, perhaps, perhaps you've had somebody say to you, I love you. I care. I'd do anything for you. Uh, can you run me to the store? Mm-mm. I thought you loved me. I thought you'd do anything for me. But running to the store is too much? It's snowing. Do you, are you catching the point? So Jesus gets an attitude with his team and says, really? Y'all say you'll die for me, but you suckers couldn't even get my hotel room set up for the night? Fox got somewhere to go. Bird got somewhere to go. Here I am, God, in the earth, and I ain't even know where I'm staying tonight. It's quiet. Now, 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 now watch this, watch this, watch this. Secondly, now, because remember, this verse, this sequence of verses is used by people to say Jesus was poor because he didn't have no, you see, he had nowhere to lay his head. That wasn't his fault. That was them 12 full-time people's fault. Jesus Christ. Secondly, the evidence Jesus wasn't poor and that Christians shouldn't be in lack is overwhelming. Touch your neighbor and say, present the case. Exhibit A, Jesus did so well in business as a carpenter, which in the Greek means tecton, which is builder, which we learn from Mark 6 and 3, that at age 30, he was able to go into full-time ministry and hire 12 guys full-time. You missed it. He did so well in business that at 30, he could say goodbye to his business and hire 12 guys full-time plus play his own expenses. Okay, say exhibit B. John 1, 38 through 39 shows us Jesus had a house and suggests it was large enough that some of his early staff stayed with him for a little while. Y'all don't believe me? Okay, go to verse 38, because if you believe me, you'd be shouting better than that. Because see, you let folks sit up and tell you Christians are supposed to be messed up, Christians ain't supposed to have nothing, and it's because you have a misrepresentation of Jesus. Jesus was such a good businessman, at age 30 he said, I'm done with the business. And he said, I got enough to hire 12 guys full-time, plus pay my own expenses. And I'm going to change the world. John 1.38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where you stay at? Okay. Verse 39. He said to them, come on and see. Now listen, if he was just showing them a little hole in the wall, he'd just be like over there. I left in 225. <laughs> or whatever. I'm not, okay, I'm just, I'm just making a point. He said, oh, you want to know where I stay? (laughs) Let me show you. You must not know about me. I ain't been sitting up just hoping and wishing. I've been working. I ain't sitting up just hoping and wishing. I've been making some stuff happen. They came and saw where he was staying, and then they stayed with him for a little bit. Okay. Exhibit C. Now, say Jesus was not poor. Saying Christians shouldn't be in lack. Say that's me. Say I shouldn't be in lack. All right, exhibit C, John 12, 8. Jesus said, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Notice, he didn't include himself in the poor category. Otherwise, he would have said, You have us with you all the time. All right, come on, be a good church. This ain't rocket science. Okay. Stop letting people tell you your God was a mess up. Stop letting people tell you your God didn't do nothing significant while he was in the earth. 
All right, Exhibit D, Matthew 27, 35, and John 19, 23, teaches us that Jesus' clothes were so nice that when they crucified him, they cast lots to see who'd get them. You don't cast no lots for no rags. In fact, John describes the garment. Put it up. John describes it. Look how John describes it. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garment, and they made four parts uh, to each soldier a part, and also a, the tunic. Now, the tunic was without seam. Now, anybody knows something about fashion? Knows that the more the seams, the cheaper the garment. Why would John go through the trouble? of telling you the tunic he had was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. He said, I just want you to know Jesus wasn't walking around dusty road. His stuff was so nice. His stuff was so nice that when the people, when the soldiers saw it, they were like, man, once he dies, well, you can't have it all by yourself. Now, I mean, we, we, we've been on the same ship for the last four years. Now, we're going to have to share and Matthew 27 explains that. Now, uh, exhibit E. Say, Jesus was not poor. Jesus was not poor. Come on, why are y'all getting quiet about this? Say, Jesus was not poor. Jesus was not Say, and I should not be in lack. Exhibit E. Jesus' ministry did so well financially that John 12, 6 says that one of his 12 key leaders' full-time job was to manage the money. It was Judas. And the Bible says that Judas was stealing. But here's what's amazing, is that Jesus was doing so well, even with Judas stealing, he was embezzling. You know, he, they say the offering was a million dollars today. And Judas was like, no, I think y'all got the numbers wrong. Let me see the count sheet. It was only 750000 a day. <laughs> and Judas was taking that money, putting it in his pocket. Because he thought he was going to get away with it. Just like people who are deceivers and betrayers always think. What's the trip is, is that all that money he put away and stole, he never got to use because he killed himself. Don't you ever worry about the fate of a deceiver or a betrayer because eventually they will self-destruct. Stop being tit for tat with people. They'll self-destruct. All you got to do is stand out of the way and let God do his thing. Now, he was, doing well, he was doing so well financially that Judas' full-time job was to keep the money. You don't need a full-time person to count $5. That'd be dumb business. And we realize he already did well in business. Now, watch this. I hope your paradigm of Jesus has changed because Jesus, all this time, you just thought he was some weirdo walking around. And here he is, a master businessman. And you just saw him get angry at his team because they want to call fire down on people. And he's like, that's just your fault. Let me come to another city and I ain't got nowhere to stay again. See what I'm saying? He was used to succeeding and doing well. And so he's looking at these guys and like, what are y'all doing? This is not how we, this is not how the kingdom operates. Now, here's exhibit F, exhibit F, exhibit F. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says this. Uh, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was, though he was what? Though he was what? Yet for your sakes, or our sakes, say my sake, he became poor that through his poverty 
uh, or that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, Bishop, when did, he, when did he enter into poverty? He had access to everything spiritually and naturally. Naturally, he could have bought his way out of that situation. When they wanted to betray him and crucify him, he could have went off and bought him some government officials. Y'all not saying nothing. Come on, I need, you've had a misrepresentation. Naturally, he had a way out. That's why he says, this is what he said to him. He says, you're not taking my life. I'm giving it to you. Because naturally, he had a way out of this situation. He could have sent one of them disciples over there to talk to some public officials. He could have, he could have sent somebody over to deal with one of the high priests. He could have negotiated some deals. He could have had the Russians. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Jesus, Jesus had lots of things. The Russians, you know, the Europeans, the Africans, the Australians, Americans, Canadians, South Americans, Central Americans. He could have had anybody do it. But he's like, listen, I'm not going to because if I don't die, they won't have life. But then spiritually, he had a way out. The scripture says he could have simply said, I'm God. All y'all die. He ain't taking me out today. <laughs> That's what he could have did. So he had a natural way out and a spiritual way out, but he had to watch this voluntarily give up what he had acquired in his 33 and a half years of life. And he had to surrender his spiritual power and he had to lay it all down so that you and I could be, watch what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That word rich there has dual meaning. Don't get caught up into materialism. Because you're going to have stuff and be crazy. So what good is your stuff? Verse, he says this, he says, he says that through his poverty. Well, when did he choose that? When he got on that cross. And he said, I got a way out of this. Naturally and spiritually but I'm choosing not to use it because if I'll step into poverty they will step into riches I give it up I give it up all the way down to my fine clothing I'm giving it up what happened to his house we don't know what happened to all that money we don't know what happened to all that stuff he gave it up so that you and I, 2,000 years later, through what he gave up, we could come up. Y'all not saying nothing to me. This is your Bible. It was in here before you got here. Touch your neighbor. Say, you were not born to be in lack. Say, you were not born to pay bills and die. He wants you to do well. Tell him, tell him. And the way Christians excel is through their faithful giving. Tell your neighbor, say, sow your money, honey. <laughs> now, I'm a living witness that to go up, you got to sow up. And when you're an extravagant giver, you will become an extravagant receiver, which is why in Malachi, when the people fell away from God, he told them that the way to return to God was through their giving. Because Matthew 6.21 says that he'll know he has your heart if he has your treasure. You hear church? Now, now, we, we look at three verses. Romans 8, 28. What's the second one? I'm not moving on until you say it. Matthew 5. Uh-huh. And what's the third one? All right, that's good, church. 
Now, some of y'all look like, y'all be pretending you taking them. <laughs> God is good. That's right, Bishop. <laughs> Say misrepresentation. Now, why, why are these verses so important? Because these are the three that are used to often put boundaries around people and give people misunderstandings. And whatever you don't understand, you can't stand under. You hear what I'm saying? So I want to I want hear me. I want to encourage you in this regard. Here's your challenge for the week. Here's your challenge for the week. So what's the challenge, Bishop? What's the challenge? Listen to this week's message. Now I know somebody said, Bishop, I, we didn't do as much shouting on today's message. Well, that's that's all right. Sometimes you just need to sit and listen. We'll shout in a minute. I want you to listen to this week's message and identify three actions you can take now based on the truth you just learned. Three actions you can take now based on the truth you learn. One from each passage of scripture. One from each. What are you going to do now that you know all things don't work together for the good of everybody? But to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. What are you going to do now? Watch this. What are you going to do now that you know and that you've learned uh, from the second set of scripture? Watch this. That there are some folks you've been going tit for tat with trying to convince them of something and Jesus said all you need to do is turn the other cheek who are you going to stop fighting with because they ain't getting it no how think of how much time you spend on the phone with some folk and you go tit for tat with them and at the end of the conversation you ain't made no progress And you sitting there talking, about, I just, I just a child. I just, I just. Jesus said, turn your cheek. If you were a lazy leech like them, you'd think that way too. But you're not. You are a curse breaker in your bloodline. You are the interruption to the dysfunction in your bloodline. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. And then finally, and then finally, and then finally, since our God wasn't poor since he handled business. What business do you need to handle better? What business do you need to handle better? Or do you just kind of wake up and say, whatever the day going to bring, let it come on. What do you need to do better? What, what action can you take right now? See, for years we've had this image of Jesus that he was just some weirdo walking around, hugging trees, eating granola. I like granola and I'm not against trees. In fact, I like when they put that French vanilla on the granola and then that's real good. Put some almond milk over top of that. See, because cow's milk was milk for cows. It's designed to turn. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. Drink whatever you want to drink. Uh, here's my point. Here's my point. Seriously, here's my point. Here's my point. Jesus became poor, gave it up. Say, gave it up, gave it up. Voluntarily. voluntarily, so that through him giving it up, we could become rich, spiritually and naturally. And again, don't get caught up in materialism. I'm not saying if you love Jesus, you're going to go outside and there'll be a Rolls Royce in the driveway. But now if that's what you want, but you're going to have to have a note too. Or you can just pay cash. 
because you ain't about that debt life. I'm not saying that, you know, if, if, if you're a Christian, you'll have a helicopter in your driveway because your church should have got you one. For those of you considering Christmas presents, no, I'm, just, I'm just playing. I'm totally playing. I'm just playing. I'm done. Here's my point. What, I'm, I'm totally joking, church. Totally joking. We're going to need one. Multiple locations. We're going to need one. How are we supposed to be able to? But, but seriously, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, he became poor so that we could become rich. Got it? And the only way to go up is to sow up. Just and simple. There's no way to access wealth. There's no way to access prosperity aside from giving. There's no way to do it. So out of those three passages of scripture we looked at, what three steps can you take this week? Lay your hands on yourself. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, as a result of the truth I've heard, please give me steps, strategies, actions I can take from this word and implement in my life immediately. In Jesus Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Oh, come on now. You know you deserve it. A steak patty on any McDonald's breakfast sandwich. I mean any breakfast sandwich. Biscuit, McMuffin, Bagel, McGriddles, a juicy steak patty on any breakfast sandwich. And when you order through the app, buy one and get one free. Now go get them. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu.